You are thousands of miles from any other human being. You're in the middle of the ocean. It's cold, it's dark, it's black, and it's stormy. And you are nowhere from like so far from help that there's no point in even thinking of someone rescuing you. Aloha and welcome back to SUPFM. My name's Simon Hutchinson and in the SUPFM podcast, I talk to people who can inspire and add to your experience of the sport. And in every episode, I talk to people who've either done something incredible in SUP or who offer some learning and information which can add something to your time on the water. This episode is brought to you in association with Starboard. Starward has a huge history in board design, and to listen to the creator of the brand himself, then check out episode 71, where I chat to Sven Rasmussen. He started by entering the windsurfing market in 1994 and innovated with his designs, and this led to the brand becoming market leader in only 10 years. The brand got behind stand-up paddling really early and has supported the sport ever since. They've also focused on reducing their environmental impact while continuously improving and innovating with their boards and their paddles to make them fit for both the weekend warrior as well as the elite athletes. And you can find out more about Starboard through their website, which is linked to in the show notes. You can catch up with the SUPFM podcast on Instagram and Facebook, but if you wanted to keep it old school, we've just relaunched our SUPFM email newsletter, which goes out weekly with a whole lot of value-added updates on future episodes, SUP news, starter packs, and added extras. And if you subscribe, then as a thank you, also get our guide to the apps we use on and off the water for free. And you can subscribe by heading over to our website, supfmpodcast.com. This week, we are very proud to feature speaker, author, filmmaker, conservationist and ocean pioneer, Chris Burtish. Chris has been an incredible athlete over the years and scored a number of incredible achievements, including his legendary big wave surf victory at Mavericks, which is the famous and occasionally deadly Californian surf break. But in this interview, we talk about his record-breaking 2016 crossing of the Atlantic by SUP, captured in his newly released documentary, Last Known Coordinates, and which I discussed in a recent podcast with Joe Piscatella, the film's director. And while the film is impressive, even this short chat with him gives us a real taste of how it was out there on the Atlantic. In this episode, the sound quality does drop in and out and it drops out completely halfway through. But the full recording is all in there, warts and all, because I wanted you to get every second of this interview. And at the end, I hope you feel like I did, which is like I could run through walls. So here it is. It was my very great honour to grab a chat with the incredible Chris Burtish. Chris, welcome to SUP FM. Thanks very much. Always nice to um, join the SUP community in whatever shape, way, or form. Well, you've uh, 
you've done that in a very, very big way. And it's a massive honor to have you on. And uh, although it's been a while since you physically did the Atlantic crossing, I've still got to say hats off to you because even from a five-year perspective, it remains an absolutely staggering achievement. And it's been great to see the story finally told in last name coordinates. You must be delighted to get the film out there. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's been a long journey. It's been as a, a long journey putting the film together as it was putting together the project and making it happen. And I think um, that's a, a big part of it. And people don't realize like what goes into making a project like this happen and then what makes it successful and how long it takes and what it takes to to be able to bring it into fruition and make it successful and get it out there so it actually impacts on lives and, and inspires people and makes a difference and makes an impact. Well, it's fabulous. And, uh, you know, I, I followed you, I think, before you did it and, and during, and, uh, you know, it's just an incredible achievement. It sounds like getting the film out has been uh, sort of equally challenging in terms of, of stamina. But just to sort of talk a bit about you and, um, and the journey itself, I, I've heard you talk in the past about your big wave success at Mavericks and the fact that you put part of the reason for your success in that competition down to your ability to adapt to the conditions. And I know um, that was down to the the sheer time you'd spent surfing in non-perfect conditions and just showing up and doing the work. How much conscious and deliberate training were you able to do for your Atlantic crossing? Great question, Simon. Um, I think no one will ever really even get a glimpse of the amount of training that I did and the kind of training that I did for the the transatlantic which was so far and beyond anything that any other person I've ever heard of ever has done and I think that is half the reason why it was successful I mean there's so many other attributes I think that make made that journey unique and made it successful you know I believe that I can teach anyone to stand up paddleboard between 10 and 12 hours a day. But what I can't teach someone is how to be able to do that every single day and do between 12 and 15 hours a day through the most challenging conditions while you're still having to figure out multiple layers of problems and situations that are unfolding all around you, which are life-threatening and deal with them all and come up with solutions, be innovative, um, adaptable, and the resilience and the fortitude to be able to manage and juggle your physical, mental, emotional, and health state over uh, 93, not only day, but even more so 93, like never-ending terrifying nights. Um, and managing everything through that while still navigating and still trying to film and everything else that comes with it. And I think that's the one thing that not even the film even gives a glimpse to and the amount of, of, of training that went into beforehand while trying to build a project, build a craft that's never been done before and plan a route and, and a launch location at a place which is not even in your country. You know, And I think there's so many layers, there's so many levels to explain that you can't really unpack it no, um, no. <laughs> in, in 20 minutes even even if we had 20 hours you know yeah, it's just no. um, this no, it's, absolutely. it's pretty crazy I mean I, I'm up in Langaban at the moment which is where I did a lot of my training in, in Cape Town it's about an hour and a half up um, 
the coast. And if anyone's seen the um, film, they will see where it is. And, you know, I spent a lot of time training between here and Cape Point. Um, and I did the 12-hour, obviously, the 12-hour world record, Guinness world record, and the 24-hour record up this coastline as well, multiple attempts at that. And there's a lot of times where I was training here by myself, you know, at night. Um, you know, and people didn't see me training because it was nighttime and no one's on the water at night. Um, but that's how I got used to being comfortable alone at night in an ocean environment that was fairly controlled. Um, and I used to train through the nights by myself. Most people didn't even know that I was doing that. Like no one had any concept of the kind of training that I was doing. I was doing the equivalent sometimes of, you know, more than, you know, more than a Molokai and by myself 20 miles offshore, 10 miles offshore on my 17 foot SIC bullet, you know, but no one ever saw me train because I was so far offshore and I was doing such unique, different, just like long distances by myself, mm -hmm. carrying all my gear with me and mimicking, like taking a lot of extra weight and strapping stuff down in my craft on my little, you know, SIC. But, but most people never saw that because, you know, no one had any idea what I was doing or training for. Yeah. Only, only I knew that, you know, and I, only I knew what I needed to do in order to prepare for that. But I think also a lot of people just miss, they miss what it takes and the stepping stones that it takes to get you there. They see this enormous goal that's been achieved, but they, they miss the background in regarding to like, who I am, what I've done, where I've grown up, and the stepping stones from a sailing perspective, from a navigation perspective, from a big wave surfing um, perspective, you know, traveling a lot around the world by myself surfing and becoming comfortable with the most, most extreme ocean environment in its most raw and wild state, in its most intense state. Um, and then also this, and then the stand-up paddleboarding side, doing the, the distance records, and then the long distance records, and then the open ocean stuff, and then the five, seven-day missions up the coast by myself over you know 250 miles, you know, with all my gear strapped on, and all the lessons and all the stuff that I learned on those journeys, you know, that's that's as big a part of it as it is doing the crossing, you know, and that took three to five years in the making and then a lifetime of preparation across all other water sports and being in the ocean to make myself feel comfortable and confident in an environment which is very threatening for most humans. Absolutely. And, and you're known for your planning and your preparation. I mean, you're, you're legendary for it. I mean, in the film, they talk about you having a backup for a backup for a backup. But I know there was a famous philosopher called Mike Tyson who said that everyone's got a plan until they get punched in the face. So, you know, you have... <laughs> pretty yeah. bad situations right from the off i mean you you're about for ages before you set off but you immediately sort of got into a situation that you had to manage didn't you yeah i mean there was just like within the first like three days there were like a multitude of things that, that went wrong um and that's always going to happen you know you're gonna you've got to prepare for that and you've got to, i think a lot of people they might even put in the preparation but they you know, they, they try and think through it as much as they can. And then when stuff goes wrong, that's not within that wheelhouse, they find it very difficult to manage that and find solutions. Whereas I try and think of every possible scenario and have worked through every single possible scenario, have a backup of a backup of, 
of a backup of every major system that can fail. Mm. Um, and then also work through mentally and emotionally, like what other possible things could happen, what it would look like, what it would feel like, and what would I have at my disposal in order to be able to find a solve for that and be able to adapt to that and be innovative and creative in order to be able to find a solution. But also focus on the things that are that need to be dealt with with an immediate sense of urgency and start unpacking things in regarding to the priority levels of how important they are to ensure your survival and then narrow them down and then deal with the one the ones that are um, need a immense sense of urgency and deal with them immediately um, before they start stacking and become uncontrollable and unmanageable and overwhelming and will ensure a really negative outcome for you, which could mean you not survive. And I think that's a very difficult thing to do on a continuous basis all the time on a daily literally on a daily basis um, and then still, you know, still paddle 12 to 15 hours a day. Like think of doing like a full Ironman every single day, except for, you know, anytime you're getting any sleep, which is never more than an hour and a half. Um, your bed's almost trying to kill you. you. It's never, it's always moving. When things are good, you're getting an hour and a half sleep. When things are bad, you're getting between four and a half, maybe three and a half and four and a half minutes because the waves that are hitting the side of the craft um, which are sort of semi turning you upside down, you can hear them coming. And when they hit the side of the craft, they break with such intensity and that the craft shakes around you and it feels like the, your little house is going to fall apart around you. And you are thousands of miles from any other human being. You're in the middle of the ocean. It's cold, it's dark, it's black, and it's stormy. And you are nowhere from like so far from help that there's no point in even thinking of someone rescuing you. So you better sort your shit out alone by yourself very quickly. Um, and I, I think that's a sense of urgency and it's a, a sense of sort of resilience and be able to manage your mental and emotional state through that when you're getting fatigued and still be able to make the right decisions and get up and do it over again mm. every single day and through the night, because you're also paddling through the night on a continuous basis. Like that's, something you can't teach someone. And that's the difference, I think, between being successful and not. Because these kind of journeys, they take so much, um, so much more than what people think. It's not just the paddling. The paddling is just a part of it. You know, paddling's sort of like the easy part. It's everything else that's the challenging part. <laughs> Sounds like it. Does it make sense? Yeah, no, absolutely. It sounds like it's the mental game. And, you know, when you were talking earlier about sensing what it feels like in terms of preparation, you know, some of that you can only get when you spend the amount of time that you have had on the ocean. But some sometimes it's about sort of compartmentalizing the way that you're thinking. And there's some footage in the film of you in the cabin, huge, great storm going on. Um, outside um i mean you look as cool as a cucumber my guess is is that uh is that inside you know the adrenaline was was coursing and you were really concentrating on, on what you just said which is what do i do next if if this happens yeah i mean i think a lot of a lot of it goes down you know a lot of people especially in the project that i was doing quite recently with the transpac wing project where we did sort of like a test of 
leaving from, I left from Half Moon Bay um, with the wing project wing down to Morrow Bay. And I, I pulled out and stopped there to get a whole lot of stuff fixed. And we sort of missed the weather window to start again until next season. And I'll be ready for that. But that's like a lot of people ask me the same thing. They're like, oh, um, what, what kind of training were you doing? Were you doing a lot of training beforehand? And I was like, yes, I, I was doing quite a lot of training, but not as much as people think. And it's again, like the, the, the years and the months before, I think these kind of projects is when you put in the most amount of training, but it's actually the most, like the most important amount of training is that I've spent a lifetime training to be ready to do what I just, what I do. Mm. Like it's the, it's the 20 to 40 years of being in like the 40 plus years of being in the ocean in every single shape, way or form on any particular craft in any part of the ocean like crossing ocean i've crossed multiple different oceans i've been in on multiple different crafts i've been in the day in the night by myself in storms in in like on little crafts on my own like stand-up 17 foot board in little hobie cats in everything and most of it's been alone and you just become just become a lot more comfortable and a lot more adaptable and a lot more self-reliant when you constantly put yourself in that space. And that's the thing that most people do not do. Like I'm just, I'm, I'm hardwired for pushing myself and pushing myself into uncomfortable places on a consistent basis. And the more you become, the more you push yourself into pushing your comfort zone and becoming comfortable with what most people find uncomfortable the better you and more adaptable you are to your changing environment. And if you can do that on such a consistent basis that you become comfortable with change when change happens around you, then it becomes your friend and instead of something you fear. Most people really feel uncomfortable with change or uncomfortable with you know difficult and changing environments where I've been doing that and forcing that upon myself across all different ways and 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 different environments, not only in the ocean, but on land. So you just become, that becomes your new norm and you become better at managing it and not just surviving through it, but thriving through it. And I think that's just something that you develop over time. Absolutely. I've got to ask you, Chris, about the handling of the craft there. And and you had, it looked like you had some pretty monstrous sort of downwinds there. You were slipping down the face of the, the swell there. How on earth did you control it or did you just need to hang on? Because I guess towards the end of the journey, you'd lost lots of body weight. There was no point sort of getting up towards the back of the board, was there? Um, yeah, you know, there's a lot that the movie doesn't show um, because we had to also cut down the, the, the footage quite a lot. And there was not a lot of the kind of footage that I'd like to have shown because a lot of that time you're sort of hanging on. But, you know, I did get it to a point where I was so sort of comfortable and in tune with the craft that sort of I was just one, I became one creature with the craft. Like I was just one, we, we were just one thing. Um, and we didn't, I didn't have to try and think of moving or adapting to anything. It would just happen automatically. And the only way I can sort of describe that to to most humans is that, um when someone becomes a really good horse rider and they've been riding with a horse for a very long period of time, you just become like, when you get onto the horse, you become one creature. 
Mm. And that's how, how I can describe um, how I was with the MP fish after, you know, whatever, 50, 60 days and right through to the end. You just, I just became so in tune with how she moved and how we moved together that like, it just became like a beautiful dance, really. I didn't have to think it just happened. Like it's a perfect example of being in flow, in a flow state where you've put in the work and you put in the time. And when you get into a point where the conditions are look challenging around you you just you you thrive and you just you you flow with it in a state where everything looks seamless to an outsider but to you it's just it's just normal it's just you're just part of it it's just you flowing with it um in its most pure state and that's a beautiful beautiful place and state to be and i think there are a lot of humans that that thrive to or, or try to get to that space but it's a very very special unique space to be and it's a very difficult space to to keep mm. um and i used to also i learned a lot about the craft obviously especially in the last month or two out there and there were times where things got really wild and i had to try and slow her down um because when she got when she started surfing down a big wave she's not really built for that so her rocker would engage and then she would broach sideways and i would get um, flipped off, which became very, very dangerous. So I learned how to restrain her um, by developing a whole lot of different drogue systems. And when I talk about drogue systems, I mean um, different lengths and thicknesses of lines that were different versions of what I called my squiddies, which were little lines that I threw off the back of the craft, depending on the strength of the wind mm -hmm. um, and the speed that I was traveling to slow her down so she didn't go to run away from me and run go too fast to the point that it became dangerous because if she started going too fast and planning down a wave uncontrollably and we broached there would be a real possibility of me being um, flipped off the craft damaging myself or getting separated from the craft and one thing that I learned very very early on in in the journey is that if the wind was above sort of eight to ten knots which it was 90% of the time, if my tether between myself and my harness or my big wave leash or both of them snapped and I got separated from the craft at any particular point, if I got separated for more than two seconds, um, that would mean the craft would travel away from me more than two meters and I would not be able to get back to it and swim after it to be able to get back onto the craft um, in time. And once I got separated from the craft, I knew that the percentage ratio of survival of trying to get back to, to get to it and survival wasn't like 20% or 10% or 5%. It was zero. So, you know, if you get separated from your craft, you're dead. Game mm. over. Mm. Like, thanks for playing. No second chances. And that's a very stark realization. And it also means that you have to be so vigilant about every single safety thing that you, protocol that you put in place to ensure your survival because if you slip up once that's it you're done mm. and i think that's another area that most people don't understand is how vigilant you have to be about the protocols and the the religious um attention to detail in regarding to your safety through right through to 
like opening up the hatch to get in and out, closing the hatch and closing both levers, opening something and not checking something, um, getting fatigued and just slipping on your, your protocols that you put in place. And when you get tired and you get fatigued, there are two things that happen. You get lazy in regarding to certain measures that you should, and you also get careless. Hello. Can you hear? So sorry, I've got you back now. Um, and you were in full flow. I guess that inevitably an experience like that really shapes you. So reflecting on the crossing, obviously looking back at it after five years, what are the key things that you learnt from it that changed you? <laughs> Simon, I don't think you can do that in um in a couple of key moments, really. There's so many things. Um Uh, you, you've got to just be like if you want to if you want to complete anything in life, whether it be a startup a, a startup business, uh, delivering a like creating a product, doing a project, uh, setting a goal for for yourself, you've got to be so passionate about what you're doing and why you're doing it. And there's always got to be, I believe, a purpose greater than self. And if you can have a couple of layers that are greater than the reason of accomplishing it or creating it than for yourself, it's got to be have some sort of give back, something that's that's going to help give back, make the planet better, make the world a better place and help and lift other people up or, or something to do with people, environment, planet mm. and leave the world a better place. Because um, with the kind of journey that I did, like if it was just about you, it's not enough to get you through the most difficult times. And that's the same thing about whether it be a product or a company or a goal. You've got to, you've got to have, it's got to be bigger than you. And when you, when you do that, then you create layers that you can tap into that, that will help you get through the really difficult times. Because, it always, you know, everybody, think, you know, they, they look at the highlight reels of everything and everything looks great. But they forget that, like, once you start these kind of things, there might be that sense of euphoria and elation, like starting a new business or whatever. But you're going to go through really shit times and you're going to go through real dark times. And you better have a whole lot of really powerful layers to be able to tap into that's going to get you through the, the, the difficult times and have, like, an immense sense of grit, perseverance, determination, and, and resilience that are going to help you get through to the end goal. And I think a lot of people don't have that and they don't realize like what it takes to often achieve anything that a lot of people or other people haven't, or even if it's something for themselves, that you've just got to want it so badly. Like my definition of all that kind of stuff is being all in. You've mm. got to be all in. And, and like people use that term so loosely that it drives me nuts because they have no idea what it actually means to be all in on something. When you put your life and everything that exists in your world on the line for what you believe in, then you're all in. Then you know what it really means. But when you're in that state, then you know that if you if you don't succeed, you're going to lose your life and everything in the process. That's a very powerful state to be in because you know that you can't fail because th there's only one outcome that's, that you, you are driving for. And if you don't, then... Everything is lost. And I think when you put yourself in that state or it's state similar to that, it's very hard not to have a successful outcome. 
But I think when people have too many options, easy options and opt out, then it's easy to to quit. And I don't believe in quitting. You know, I just like if people if people realize that if you set yourself a goal, and no matter what happens on that journey, every single time you have a challenge or you get knocked down or you get pushed backwards, as long as you keep on getting up and moving forward. It doesn't matter how many times you get knocked down. If you keep on moving forward in the direction of that goal or intention or dream, you will eventually get there. And the only time you will not achieve that goal is when you give up and you stop trying. If you knew that, why would you ever stop moving forward in the intention of your goal and dream? Because you'll always get there. But most people don't. They give up before they get to that goal. But if they knew that, then there would be no excuse or no reason why they would ever not get there. And I think society, unfortunately, has molded people into just giving up and quitting too easy or thinking that there's a quick fix to everything. And there isn't. Everything that's good, that's successful, that's incredible, that well, that hasn't been done before takes immense sense of courage, determination, perseverance, and resilience and a never give up attitude to achieve it, you know, no matter what. That's- and I think – People, people forget that, and it's it's powerful. You know? Well, I'm certainly ready to run through walls now, Chris. That was a fantastic message. I think I think people say there's no such thing as failure. There's only feedback. So as long as you don't give up, then you can potentially achieve anything. Chris, thanks so much for your time today. I really appreciate it, and also yeah. everything that you do, not just um, you know putting SUP on the map with your incredible crossing, but the stuff that you're planning, your Transpac Wing project which we'll link to in the show notes. And of course, all your work in terms of education and conservation. So really appreciate your time and uh, and thanks for appearing. Yeah, I'm um, always happy to, to hopefully um, inspire and give back. And I hope um, this is an inspiring message. I'd really like everyone to just go out and have an adventure, try something new, push your comfort zone. You never know what's possible unless you try so and if you need a speaker for any of your events anywhere around the world that's what i do and that's what i'm about so i hope you enjoyed and um, thanks very much for having me simon and the sub fm well thank you for listening and i hope you feel like i did when i had finished chatting with chris the key lessons learned from him was to embrace discomfort, go all in, understand that there's no substitute for hard work and there are no shortcuts. And this might not be the answer that we're hoping for if we're looking for instant results, but at least it gives us a map for getting somewhere. And it shows that if we're not doing as well at something as we were expecting, we only fail at it if we stop learning and we stop pushing forward. Big thanks to Chris for the chat and we all wish him the best of luck for his Transpac project, which will be kicking off in 2022. And please don't forget to watch his film, Last Known Coordinates. And like always, all the links you could ever want are in the show notes. Okay, that's it. So thanks for listening. And until next week, I'll see you on the water.